Hey guys, in this episode of Trent Talks, I sit down with Nicholas Kirchner and I talk with Nicholas about his process of creating and building an advertising agency and then going through the journey of scaling it and eventually exiting it. So I've known Nicholas for quite some time. I think you guys are really going to appreciate this episode, especially if you're running your own agency or trying to run your own agency. Uh, so I'm going to hop right in and let Nicholas talk to you about how he did it and how he exited. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here for another episode uh, number six, Trent Talks. I've got Nicholas Kirchner. I think I said it right. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, so Nick has uh, – Nick. I've known Nick for a while, and um, – Nick has actually gone through the process of building and scaling an ad agency. He's gone through the process of being able to then exit that agency and join another company through a buyout. And he's done a heck of a lot of Facebook ads and run a lot of them at scale. So we're going to get to hear a little bit of his story and kind of the what to watch out for, what to miss. And then he's also going to give us some uh, thoughts, ideas, and tips on how to run ads at scale. Yeah. So Nick, welcome, dude. It's, it's awesome to have you, man. I'm excited. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Well, I'm gonna let you start, dude, because uh, I mean you're the man of the hour right now. Um, sure. So uh, tell tell us a little bit about how you got started in Facebook ads. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of how the whole process went of you growing your agency. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm 22 now. I started in internet marketing or like dabbling in internet marketing at 17. Um, so I was like trying affiliate marketing. I was trying to like Kindle ebook publishing. Um, like I bought my fair share of like $47 ebooks that like would teach you how to do X, Y, Z back then when I had like no money. And, um, so I just started like breaking stuff. Like I'd look at landing pages and I'd be like, how the heck do they make these? Are these like custom coded or is there like a tool? Like nowadays there's like click funnels and lead pages and all these things. And to me it was like just a black hole and I knew nothing, but, um, Basically, I was in college, started breaking things, uh, just trying to see what worked, tried e-commerce. So that's kind of like, that was my first exposure to having to run ads or run traffic. So when that happened, I started running Facebook ads, Google ads, and just seeing what worked. And I had no skill. I'd taken no programs. I was just uh, a beginner and uh, spent all the money that I made at uh, a warehouse job on my Facebook ads to see like what works. Really? Yeah. So that's kind of where I like cut my chops because I had to like live and make money while I was going to school before I dropped out. And uh, so that's where I got started. And then um, I dropped out of school, had a sales job for a little while making cold calls. And then I was running the agency after hours. And it finally Mm -hmm. grew to a point where I could quit that job. And then um, the ad spend just started getting bigger, you know, Um, and and over time now, uh, I've grown, sold an agency, and uh, hopefully looking to do that again at some point, just on a much, nice. much bigger scale. Now, when did we, we met, what, was it two or three years ago? I want to say it was like two years ago. Two years ago. We were, were talking, I think you were like 20. Yeah, yeah. We were talking like lead gen tactics, I think, for, yep. forget yeah. what industry. I think it was in the chiropractic space, which that's who I was working with at the time, too. Nice. All right, so... All right. So you, so you'd start it like a lot of people uh, say they should, like we say a lot of people should start it, but they actually don't. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I have another job. I don't have time. Yeah. You started your entire agency from the standpoint of like, Hey, I'm going to start this as a second company. I'm going to make it, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to start it that way as my side hustle. And then when I can cover my income, then I'll transition over full time. Yeah. Cause I was in such a place of pain 
at that job. Like I hated it. The management sucked. Um, so that like motivated me to get out as soon as possible. So I was like, this is the model. This is, this has to work. So, you know, literally like, you know, Gary V says the 6 PM to like 2 AM, but that for real was my grind. And that, um, uh, allowed me to leave eventually. And when I was starting to get meetings booked in my local area, I would use my paid time off at work to go have these meetings. That was my next question. I was going to ask you, like, how do you build the agency doing the 6 to 2 p.m., you know, or 6 p.m. Yeah. to 2 a.m. thing when you're working a full-time job and you've got to meet with clients, you know, clients are, sure. are calling you, whatever. Like, how sure. do you, how did you build your, as your side also dealing with all of that? So literally I like, so I would step out during the day. If a client called me, I'd call them right back, you know, have the discussion out in the hallway and then go back to work and then take care of whatever work that I had to do later on that day. Um, and in the beginning, it was just me. Like, you know, you had no team, you had no leverage right. or anything. So I did that. I used my paid time off. And then like in the beginning, and I'm still a huge proponent, um, especially at the level of deals that we're doing now, like you need that one-on-one -on -one con connection. It's not like I'm going to get uh, fucking MGM resorts from a cold email, like right. yeah, a campaign, you know, like these are real connections, real people got to travel there and whatnot. Um, so that's changed over time, but, um, I'd go to networking events after work and then, really? uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'd go straight from work to the networking event and basically go there, show up really confident. I mean, I knew my stuff, but I definitely, right. in hindsight, you always look back like three or four years later and you're like, man, I had no fucking clue back then. Right. Uh, At the time you're thinking like, Oh, I, you know, I look, I've put the time in, you know, I, I know my craft. And I mean, even I look back, like I've been doing this since 2008 and I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> yeah, like in the beginning, wow. you were really clueless. What uh, I did not know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, I, I started closing some deals. And, How did you find uh, clients? Yeah. How did so, you find clients while you were doing the, the hustle? I, it was literally those those first networking events. Um, I also went on Craigslist and looked at people looking for social media help or managers. And mm -hmm. um, my biggest like first client at the time which at the time I wasn't making like any money at my day job or, you know, like, okay, we'll just say like an average yearly salary for most Americans. And um, so I found this company on Craigslist and I go into the meeting and I was like, I know I'm going to charge $1,500 because I need, I want this client. I want to build my client base. I had had uh, two other clients at the time and I was like, okay, so just another like run of the mill. Just want to build the revenue. And it's a two hour meeting. They're really, really excited. And then right as he asked, so what's it going to cost me? Like the, the narrative in my head the whole time was 1500. I spit out four grand at like when he says, what's it going to cost me? I don't know what like inside of me, like made me do that. I still can't explain that. Like the four grand just jumped out. It literally jumped out. And like, I checked my, like after I said that, I was like, okay, you probably just like blew the deal. You're not going to want to do it. Uh, <laughs> why did you say that? Like you could have just closed this very easily. And then um, they said, sounds great. And I was like, oh. Sounds great. <laughs> and they were like, I assume you didn't bring the contract with you. And I was like, yeah, I did. Here it is. I passed it across the table. And then they signed it. And, you know, I got paid. And that was the ticket to me leaving my job. Now, what kind of, what kind of company was that? So that was a uh, cannabis vaporizer company. Okay. Yeah. And, and I guess here here's my question and the one that, that people ask all the time you're doing 15 when you first started, cause I want to take, 
step back one thing, like you're, you're saying you're going on Craigslist and you're looking for people who are needing help with social media. Like how did you determine your pricing early on? Yeah, totally. So I was just like, did you start for free? No, no, I didn't. No. Um, because it's really weird. My first client never actually asked me one time who else I had worked with or anything. Um, mind you, it was only a thousand bucks a month, but I ne- he never asked me because I walked in and like, I was confident. I knew my stuff. Like people could tell. So doing the homework definitely helped. And now like when I'm pricing things or now I have like employees and overhead and all that to build in. But back then I was just like, how much money can I make them from what I'm going to do? So although I didn't know the exact amount, I'm not a proponent of charging like, you know, 10 grand a month or five grand a month. If you know nothing and you know, you're not going to ever get them a return on their investment. Like, especially in our space, which is largely performance marketing, like people are in it for the return, not uh, to look at it as a fixed expense every month that they don't really know where the money is going. Um, right. Very trackable, traceable. So uh, yeah, I basically, basically what, whatever value I could provide, whatever I thought that was worth. Um, I know some people undercharge, go for free, but understand. Now, you do it, did you do it as a percentage of what you, of what you felt you could uh, uh, not, increase not, the business by? Not a, not a set percentage. I was just like, you know, well, I mean a calculated percentage like up top. Uh, yeah, not, not really. It's just like, okay, okay. I, I asked them what their lifetime value of a customer is. I'm like, okay, I, I could probably get them, you know, if it's a chiropractor, for example, and their lifetime value is 1500 bucks. I'm like, okay, can I get them two patients? Like, yeah, yeah, I can. I get them two patients in a month. Yeah. Yeah. For them to break even and then see profit. So like, that's kind of what I, what I went off of. And, mm-hmm. um, that gets a lot clearer over time. I don't know if you can go in with the perfect price. There is no perfect price. It's like, what are your expenses? Um, right, right. Like cash flow planning and all that stuff. You gotta, you gotta know your numbers. Now, interesting twist. I didn't know that you actually started with chiropractors. So when you started, I had chiropractors. Time. Chiropractors was the push, though. That was what. That's what everybody's like. Oh, I'm gonna. There be. You know what I'm talking about. There's a huge like industry wide push about start with chiropractors and dentists and stuff like that, where you can do your, um, what am I looking for? Your deep discount offer, you know, that kind of thing. And yep. so how did you differentiate yourself uh, or what did you do that you felt differentiated yourself from other people who are pitching them the same thing? Well, I mean, I didn't have a niche when I started. Right. So I was, okay. I was just like, cause you did like most people go after that niche, but they don't even know if they like serving them. They don't know if they're even like, Valid point. Or if they like generating leads for that kind of business model. Um, turns out, I mean, that was just a stepping stone for me into like the e-commerce space uh, mm-hmm. and, and larger brands and whatnot. So um, honestly, so you just kind of, you happened into that and that's the one that you're like, all right, well, I'm doing well. So let me expand. Yeah, no, it's the one that I wanted to taste, right? Because most people yeah. don't taste enough stuff. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to give it a go and okay. uh, see if I like it. And what, what what separated me? I mean, I just I wasn't sending them a cold email saying, "Hey, I can refer you 15 patients a week or whatever." I literally met him at a networking event, sat him down, showed him how the process worked, explained how what he was doing now wasn't sufficient to generate leads and how the ROI wasn't trackable. Mm-hmm. Um, he had didn't have like a sales process established, didn't have a follow up process established, so. Once again, I think what sets me apart is I'm not like I'm making things personal and 
when you like people say, Oh, well you can't scale if it's personal. And I say, bullshit, you can hire people that can, you know, scale the personal effort, uh, IE sales people, whatnot. So yeah. like, I'm just not a big fan of like reaching out via like cold email and whatnot that they're just getting inundated with. It's like this person came in and actually talked to me, had a conversation and is real, mm-hmm. not some black hole. <laughs> so for your agency, you never really ran the traditional route that a lot of people say when they want to automate, they go with, Hey, let me set up my own sales funnel, like, like through click funnels. Let me set up my funnel and I'll do all this to bring clients in. You stayed as a very personal, personal touch. That. Yeah. And I'll say like, if you want to play small forever, fine, you do the funnel approach, like whatever, but that only goes to a certain point. Like all I'm saying is like, about when you say small, you're talking client size, correct? Yeah, like if you want 2,000 a month clients, 3,000 a month clients, there's nothing wrong with those clients. Like we still serve clients like that at all. But what I'm saying is if you want to go big, like some of our clients are Petco and Yahoo. And I'll tell you what, the CMO at Petco or Yahoo is not coming through a Facebook Facebook ad funnel, my sales funnel that doesn't look amazing. Like it just doesn't have a high end feel. Like when you're competing with some of the best creative agencies in the world, like Ogilvy, you have VaynerMedia and, uh, you know, just all these other top level agencies that are right. part of conglomerates. Like you just can't play on that level. You have to like step up and actually make a personal touch. Yeah, you have to because those meetings are boardroom meetings. They're not Zoom calls. You know what I mean? Absolutely. When, now, when did you know that you were ready to step from, you know, I'm running my $1,500 a month or was it just the accidental like blurt out of 4,000, which is what showed you you were ready? Well, that showed me I was ready to charge whatever, you know, because it's like, okay, if they saw, and that was just for social media management. That wasn't even for Facebook ads. So I wasn't even that. That was just social media management. That was literally just posting. Interesting. And, uh, so I was like, sweet, you know, uh, <laughs> that's easy enough. <laughs> okay. So that's another thing. I'll be honest. And we, as much as we've talked, I never knew that. I yeah. thought you were strictly an ad manager. I didn't. So did you start out doing both then? I started out doing both. And then I was like, okay, well, clients are leaving because they're like, well, I'm not really making money. ROI is tough to judge. On and they don't, see the brand, they don't see building brand equity. The right. Small businesses don't understand that. Huge businesses like Coca-Cola, where they have a billion dollar marketing budget and they don't really see it. They'll directly. spend more money on the organic side than they will yeah. the paid side. Which that you know that is an interesting dichotomy there though. That yeah. small businesses will focus more on the paid side because they can see the ROI, like a quick ROI, versus the organic, and it's just the opposite for large corporations. Yeah, and a lot of businesses though could benefit from the organic. It's just they're not willing to play the long game, or they don't have their business set up right to be able to play the long game. Yeah, because um, in advertising and business, the person who can spend the most to acquire a customer always wins, um, and most. Sure. Small businesses can't do that. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Performance marketing is great. But um, yeah, they're, they're just in a different frame of mind. Nice. All right. So when you when you you decide to scale, you know, you figure it out from your blurt out, which I, I love that, dude. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I, like people sometimes think I'm joking about that. But I literally, the whole, as he was asking that question, I was thinking that 1500 And then it just popped out four grand. You're like, I don't know. okay, I he can pay for it. it. I was like, yeah. Hell yeah, it's awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So obviously you knew at that point you could charge, you know, you, you could raise your prices significantly. Yep. Um, 
But when, at, at what point did you start saying, okay, I want to start taking on larger customers? You know, yeah. I want to start working on what, like, like you mentioned, large uh, e-commerce sites, or I want to start working with larger corporations. And how did you go about shifting from, uh, whether it's not mom and pop, but like small businesses and moving into the large companies doing, whether it's 20, 50, $100 million a year? Sure. So my next kind of stepping stone was like from those smaller businesses moving into another area of success I've had is uh, coaches and consultants. So like all the people you see, you know, in ClickFunnels, obviously I've worked with all of them, but I've worked with several of them. And, you know, whether it was taking them from 30,000 a month to 120,000 a month, just through Facebook ads in, you know, under 90 days, like I had several case studies like that. And that was like, okay, I can really spend a lot of money on Facebook ads, make this wildly profitable, you know, like four or five times return on a digital product. I mean, what's your cost of goods? You know, it's like right. pure profit, right? It is pure so, profit. I mean, you're like 90, what is it? 95, 85 usually? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was like a good stepping stone for me. So I was going from like small uh, brick and mortar businesses to online coaches who like could achieve scale. And I was like, okay, well I can manage a lot of spend. I could generate leads. I can get registration costs, you know, here, and um, they're actually quality and then they generate a return. So I like I, more pieces were clicking at scale through that time period. And then uh, after that, when I was looking at getting acquired, you know, I was approached to be acquired. And then um, that's really where I stepped into, okay, now I'm working with massive companies. Um, and mind you, the company that acquired me and that I joined, um, you know, they're in uh, year two or we're in year two now. And um nice you know, the, the first year did 2.7 million. So it's like really growing fast, but working with those big names, uh, mind you, the model is, uh, pretty much not completely different, but there's the media buying and then there's the content creation and the content distribution. So like yeah. we have a whole production studio, you know, we're traveling around doing shoots. The whole nice. So like, nice. and then we're taking that on the paid side and, um, using those assets, those higher quality things, uh, to drive results. It so, makes a huge difference. I yeah. mean, because the other thing is, you know, this too, when you're scaling, when you're scaling, whether it's your own agency or if your agency is scaling another company, you don't know which creative ad is going to hit. Right. right. Like, I mean, and, and you've, you've been doing this now and you've spent, I, I don't know, how, how much money do you think you spent on Facebook ads for clients? Mm -hmm. I'd probably say total lifetime, like probably 7 million. So, so there you go. So you've spent, a, you've spent a ton of money on Facebook ads. Yeah, but even with your experience, you still can't guarantee which ad's going to hit, and that's no, the thing no. I think people miss. Is yeah. like you know, Gary talks a lot about this. You mentioned him earlier. Gary talks about putting out tons and tons of pieces of content mm -hmm. and throwing a little bit of money behind them. If you see one that works, scale it. Yeah, of course, and you know that's something that I still do. That's something that every good advertiser does, and good copywriter. It's it's all in the testing. Let the market decide what's good. Don't yeah. let your own brain say this is good. And push something that the market doesn't want. Well, I wanted to talk to one point here, and I, you probably know I was going to go here at some point. I don't know. So early on, um, you caught not early. I say kind of halfway through. You caught a and, and and from my understanding, it was a lot. It wasn't just I was going to say caught a break. It wasn't just you catching a break. It's you putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Sure. But for example, you started to work with Ty a little bit. Yep. And I know that helped you one because obviously Ty understands scale and everything else. Yep. But two things. One, how did you make that connection mm -hmm. and how do people go about trying to meet and work with someone? I mean, did you, did you come up to him? Actually, I'll just let you, 
I'll let yeah, you explain so, how you did that yeah, process. So my story was when I was 17, he was primarily the person I was following um, to like learn how he was doing what he was doing. And I'd have a legal notepad laying on my parents' living room floor. And every day he'd do a live stream and he'd sell his accelerator at the end for a few grand. I could never afford it. Parents wouldn't help me with it. So <laughs> I literally just took notes. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this no matter what. And um, so that, that journey kind of started then. And then um, I started my agency. I was seeing some success with it. And at that time he had his SMMA program. So it like, it kind of fit perfectly. I was like, okay, I'm seeing success. I want to like tell him about it. So it was at his event in Santa Monica that I met him uh, the first time, told him what I was doing. He put me on a social. And then um, I saw him again in LA for a different conference and, um, you know, met him again, went up to him. And uh, basically um, after I started my agency, I bought the SMMA program, just seeing mm-hmm. like what, what information was in there. And I was like, well, there's like some Facebook ad stuff missing. Um, I'd love if you were, you know, uh, you know, if, I can share any of my success, you know, let me know. And the very next day, like right on the spot, he's like, okay, come over and teach the, tomorrow. And um, so, you know, they, they vetted me and whatnot, made sure, you know, you know, I'm right. It's what. not like, Hey, this is some guy who, who doesn't really know what he's doing coming out to teach. Yeah. They do a little bit of research. First. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Just to clarify for everybody. No, yeah, <laughs> no, they do their due diligence. So anyway, I go in there and then I'm at uh, Ty's place uh, teaching stuff and the relationships grown ever since. And, um, so yeah. it was, again, it was you offering to do something. It's the same thing. I mean, we, I mean you and I both love Gary. Um, it's the same thing he talks about all the time. If you want yeah. to help someone who's bigger than you, or you want to have a connection or create a relationship, offer to help them. Yeah. No, That's literally sure. what you did. You offered to, Hey, let me help you build out the SMM program. Yeah. No, you for built sure. Out the Facebook ad side. And he was like, sure. Yeah. No. Cause, uh, you know, there wasn't that much content in there and I get messages all the time saying, you know, that those were some of the best lessons in the whole program. Cause when That's I went awesome. there too. I wasn't like, oh, well, I'm going to only give a little bit so that I can have someone go buy my 997 program. Like, I didn't. You poured everything you I had in there. I, like, gave a ton away. And I was just like, you know, that's where the long-term thing comes in. I'm not concerned. Like, there's nothing wrong with courses. There's an incredible opportunity. People are making a ton of money with them. But it's right. just like, I'm not playing to get to 1 million, 5 million, or 10 million. Like, and like even, you know, Sam Ovens, he's at 30 million and absolutely crushing it. And he's got longer term plays, but like, you know, what's the, what, what can get me to a hundred or what can get me to 200 or 500? Um, you know, that's what I'm really concerned about and looking for. So I'm not so much consumed with protecting information because it's like, I see what goes on to get to, to that level. And it's not uh, my Facebook ad tactic, you know? Looks like you disconnected there, Trent. Okay, I'm back. There you go. I was hearing all of it, but I, can you hear me now? Hello, hello? You have me, Nick? Hold on one second. Sorry about that, guys. Give me one second. Get this right here. Hey, can you hear me? 
Nick, Nick. Hello, hello. Check. Uh. Hey, can you hear me? Hello, hello. Wow, I'm not sure what's going on here. Nick, are you there? All right. Um, so uh, we're going to try and get Nick back real quick and uh, keep going here. I'm not sure what happened, so give me just a second. Let's see if we can get Nick back in here and keep going. Hey, man, can you hear me? Yeah, we're good. Okay, good. We're good. I'm not sure what happened, but we're up and running again. Awesome. Every once in a while, this, this B-Live gets a little glitchy, but still yeah. the best one that I found. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. But I did hear everything you were saying. Okay. <laughs> I heard the process. My video just disappeared. Yeah. Um, so, no, that is cool, though, that you literally just said, all right, I'm going to go all in, and, and you gave all of your, you know, just like a lot of people talk about giving all of your best information away for free and knowing that it, everything will come full circle. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, right. I've, I've sold like a few programs or I had a dude fly here uh, across the country to come learn from me for a day. Like there's little stuff, but that's just not my focus. And, in, in right. you know, I'm focused a hundred percent on growing the agency. Nice. Well, let me ask you this. Then. Speaking of growing the agency, all right, yep. So you've done all this, you've grown and now you're scaling a company. So what did you reach out to someone? Did they reach out to you? How did that process go about you kind of slash exiting your agency or more merging with uh, Margle? Sure. So they, um, I started off as a consultant for them and then um, they were seeing really good results. They basically launched a whole media buying department. Um, so I trained, hired, vetted them uh, the whole bit from zero with no experience to, you know, managing a ton of campaigns with really oh, nice results. Yeah. So I basically launched that whole wing as a consultant and then they were like, well, we kind of want more of your time. And I'm like, well, as you know, I'm doing this over here. So, you know, they're like, well, would you sell How it? How about we buy this over here? <laughs> and I was like, well, initially I was very hesitant. I said, no, um, because I knew I was going to win either way, but like right. as I started spending more time here, um, got more comfortable and then, uh, you know, it just made financial sense too. I was like, yeah, let's, let's start working on it. So the deal took like six months to work out. Um, but they, um, they approached me on that. Now, let me ask you, man, how did, what's the process like scale uh, ex, kind of, I mean, I hate to, we use the term exiting, but you're not really exiting. You was more of a merger type thing. Sure. But um, was that was that difficult for you in the process of like rolling into a new company, bringing all the clients over, everything else? Sure. So it was basically like I sold it, but the way like IFC, I'm a co-owner here, so you know I have an equity position and whatnot. So it was like a buyout, but I also 
um, you know, some of that buyout was absorbed in equity um, gotcha. that I have a position and all that. So uh, that's kind of how it worked. Um, it can kind of be get complicated if, you know, people aren't familiar with the way acquisitions work. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, like in terms of preparation for it, like knowing your numbers, a having your accounting dialed in, like people, the things people typically don't think are important is really what looks good to investors. Cause I was working with their, their VC firm. So we're talking like guys who know valuation, no yeah. cash flow, no, like they know everything. They want to see your traditional P and L's. They want to see your yeah, traditional yeah, balance very, sheets, not just your, show. not just the homemade and the home entrepreneur who runs a basic, like, okay, I know how much I have in the bank. I'm good. Yep. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's, um, that's a big difference. And um, they are smart and they know. So uh, if you don't know, then it's easy to get taken advantage of, which luckily, you know, I have um, mentors and resources and obviously I've done my homework uh, right. before that deal happened. So I, uh, you know, it, it ended very, very well and I'm super happy. Um, what else did you ask? No, that was, I was just saying, oh, what was the difficult, how complicated was it? What was the difficulty in trying to bring all your existing clients? Over? Oh yeah. I mean, really, if you have good uh, relationships with them, really just making sure there's no hiccups in the, the transition, really making sure that like, you know, they have their hand held uh, throughout the process that they don't feel like they're being, you know, left to rot or whatever. Right. There's still a focus. And that um, they're still important because a lot of. Now, how did you handle the time though? Because as you know, obviously you're taking a bigger role here now. Um, and I want, I want to come back to one thing on the scaling side in your own agency because yep. that kind of that kind of is the background of what I was going to ask here. But how do you handle the time? Had you already scaled away from as much of you specifically having client interaction, just mm-hmm. because that way you can oversee? Yeah, or did sure. you have to do that uh, on I the merger? Kind of the, sure. So like. I was kind of the person who, you know, I was the point person, but I had resources doing the work. Okay. Yeah. So it was a lot easier in that regard, but um, I still had personal ties to pretty much every client because I wasn't doing, you know, many millions in revenue. I was just, right. you know, doing well. So when you're coming over to Margle, then is that one of those things where it's like, all right, you're still getting phone calls from different clients because you've got obviously personal relationships with sure. them. But at some point, you have to begin to not, that's the right word I'm looking for. You have to begin to pull that back and say, you know, my time is X versus here's the people who are managing the ad accounts. Oh, yeah, totally. So I just started incorporating them on phone calls. Fair enough. And then they have less going on. They're easier to get access to. So it makes it easier for the customer anyway, because they can get access to them quicker. They're amazing. Like they're, they're amazing people and team members who actually like, are really sharp. They, it's not like they would prefer. I think the, the mistake people make is your client prefers to talk to you because they feel like you are the only one that uh, really knows what's happening. So if you make sure you hire the right talent that's sharp, they have no preference on who they talk to because they know everyone they talk to actually knows what they're talking about. You know, interesting. Yeah. I think I don't think most people actually think of that because I know at times when I'm thinking of the process, I don't think of that either. It's, you know, the client wants to talk to me or anyone else who's running an agency, but it's probably just if they're that if they're feeling that way, it's because they don't have full comfort level with the other people yeah. that they're talking with. Yet. And also, you're actually undermining the employee by uh, taking those calls, because then whenever they talk to uh, their account manager or who they're working with 
or who they should be working with, then um, then they're like, oh, well, what you're saying is unimportant. I just want to talk to head honcho, i.e. the owner. Good point. Good so point. if you let them take that and, you know, task them with that, then the client is used to that. And then you're just in the background if they need to check in once a month or once every couple months, but you're not undermining their experience and saying, well, what you're telling them isn't good enough. Like you got to invest yeah. in the people. No, that's good. It, it really is. That's a good, very good point about empowering your employees. Yeah. Um, sure. All right. So scaling at ads, obviously you guys are doing a ton of volume right now at ads. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some, let me just start really direct and practical here. What are some of the mistakes that people make dealing with ad, like Facebook ads at a large scale? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost the, like the opposite of the ad. Like I think a lot of people think Facebook ads will be the magic pill. And um, Ty always says this, you can't polish a turd. And the more ads I've ran, the more that is like in my brain, because you can run the best Facebook ads, have the best strategies. But if the website sucks, they don't know conversion rate optimization. They don't have follow up in place. They don't have a good brand. They don't have social proof. No one's bought their product. Site looks sketchy. Uh, Like pricing isn't right. There's so many other factors that go into actually making sales that it's like the ads might not be the problem. It's mm. really the back end that's really screwed up. Now the ads have to be done correctly. There's plenty of mistakes within that, but look at the picture other than ads. Most people are teaching all like Facebook ads, Facebook ads, but it's like, right. once again, I've seen great ads that should do well, do absolutely horrible because the back end experience is crap. Mm. And now so they, it kind of reminds me of what people say about individuals. You know, they never say money doesn't make people bad. Money highlights what's what's wrong with someone or money yep. can highlight what's good about them. And yep. It sounds like what you're saying is a similar process of, look, when you add money to your ad campaign or to your sales lead gen campaign, whatever you want to call it, when you're adding revenue to that process or not revenue, but some ad money, ad spend to that process, then you're going to highlight all of the areas that have deficiencies. Correct. Correct. Okay. Exactly. So I'm assuming you guys just have internal checklists now. You make sure that all of these things are yeah, in order. I mean, even in the sales process, right? Like we're not going to take a client that doesn't have things figured out. I was going to say, that was my next question. So if someone's, you know, they may not be at the scale you guys are at, you yep. know, how do they deal with, you know, if they're looking at a customer and they're like, Hey, you know, you know, I need to bring on new customers, but how do I broach this with my customer or with my client saying, Hey, look, your, your website or your landing pages, they just aren't, they're not going to work. Like, yeah, I mean, what's you, your recommendation to them to, to broach that? Should they do it themselves, contract it out or what? Yeah, I mean, you just have to like, so, I mean, definitely if they're down to pay to get it fixed, then, you know, do so contract it out. If it's not your expertise, make sure you're vetting those people, build a, a quality team. Um, but I mean, I'm very blunt in the sales process because I feel like in the beginning, it's not as easy to be blunt because you don't have as much experience and you need cash in the door. But once you don't, once you have experience and you're not hurting for cash in the door, you can basically like choose who you want. And that's the ideal spot that you want to be in. Because it gives you the flexibility to be like, unless you fix that, this won't work. No, exactly. And I have no problem. Like in the beginning, I feel like I was more apt to say something like I had a lot of confidence in something, mostly because Mm -hmm. I didn't have experience. So like, I was like, yeah, like I know my Facebook ads are going to work. Like this will be great. And then, but actually 
I didn't have the, the knowledge of all the backend stuff that could be broken. But yeah, now I'm just like, eh, I don't really think it's a good fit or I recommend doing this. And, um, you know, maybe we can talk later. But uh, yeah, I mean, the headaches you deal with are going to be so much bigger. Like, I know you want cash in at the beginning and people right. are super excited to get that first client. I promise you it is not worth it. And it's hard. And I know because I heard this before, too, from other people when I was starting and I was just like, yeah, whatever, but I need it. But I'm like, now that I'm actually in the position I'm in, I look back and I'm like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you're, you're, I know what you're saying because it's the process of I just need money so that I can do this or I just need money yeah. to do that. Whereas, you know, one of the things I've always said too is, especially because obviously back in, in 2008, I started as web design SEO agency because that's what was needed and required at the time. Yep. And, um, and I remember back then it was like, the worst clients to take are the ones you have to give discounts to. Oh, not, yeah. Because when a client negotiates, you know, I remember having this conversation early on in my agency, my wife and I were talking and she's like, well, why don't you just take the discount? Money was a little tight. Why don't you just take the discount and do it? And I remember telling her, I said, listen, the client that you give the discount to generally ends up being the worst client. Oh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. I will, I would never, uh, never do it because they just like, they're also playing the short game. I don't like people who. Well, I think that's the key. It's the mentality of the client. It's the mentality. They're not willing to invest in themselves for the long-term process. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, you have to be willing to, otherwise maybe you're not ready for, you know, this kind of sure. thing or like do it yourself or whatever, but. Well, one more question here and then I'll kind of let you uh, talk a little bit what you guys going on before we let you go. Sure. Um, so how, how would you recommend whether it's early on or someone who is, you know, where you were at the chiropractor trying to scale to bigger, how much vetting should they be doing? I know we've talked just now about this a little bit in their sales process and how much digging do you do into their follow-up systems there? How much digging do you do into all of that when you're approaching someone to bring them on as a new client? Yeah. I mean, I'm basically interviewing them. Like I'm looking to disqualify them uh, at this point. Like, so when did you reach that spot? Mm, I'd probably say not until like six to eight months ago where I was okay. really comfortable doing that. Um, but before that, that, were you digging still into all the other processes? Oh yeah. I was still asking, but I wasn't being as critical and turning people away for it. I'd be like, you just wanted to know what you were dealing with going into it. Sure. But now I have a reason to be like, no, I don't even want to touch it. Gotcha. You know, I don't want to touch it. Um, so I'm asking, you know, what's your average cost to acquire a customer? What's your lifetime value of a customer? Mm -hmm. What's your average order value? What's your store conversion rate? How long have you been around? Do you have video testimonials? What does your Amazon uh, look like in terms of reviews? Um, right. If it's a physical product, you know, what case studies do you have? Uh, what video content do you have? Like I'm digging into all that. How big is your list? How much are you emailing them? What do those emails look like? You know, do you have a bot? Like I want to understand all the pieces so that I can actually put together a strategy that makes sense and determine if my strategy would even work. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool, well, man. Well, I appreciate really the time. Really get in there. Really get in there. <laughs> um, so what you guys got going on at Margle? You know, if someone, if someone is interested in working with you guys, what, 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 where should they be? Um, I mean, obviously I know there's not necessarily hard set numbers, like we want this, this, and this, but you know, what kind of clients or when should people be, uh, where should they be when they're looking at coming to somebody like you? Yeah, basically they know they have a good offer. They have proof of concept that the market tells them that this is a good offer. 
So I meaning sales, they have sales, you know, not, not interest or Facebook comments saying interested, <laughs> you Fair know, <laughs> drop fire in the comments and I'll send you my PDF. Yeah. So, that doesn't quite count as a, as sales. No, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, they, they have proof of concept. Um, you have a budget to grow and you're really looking for, you're not looking for someone to get you started. You're looking for a catalyst. Like, okay, I know I'm headed to A to B right now. It's on track to take me two years. I want to see if it can be done in six months. So you guys are the gasoline on the fire. Right. Because really what we do is we produce really effective daily video content for Facebook and Instagram. Okay. So we're growing the brands organically, the engagement, Mm -hmm. managing comments, all that stuff. And then you have the paid media distribution. So those pieces of content that we're taking, all those publisher pages like Tasty, um, little things like these massive pages with 30, 50 million followers that are like fan pages that distribute content. We have mm-hmm. partnerships with all those pages. So we're taking a video we make, getting it out to millions and millions of people. Like our top performing video has like 180 million views. Oh, wow. Nice. So like when we taught, when we're say viral, like we mean hundred million plus, right? Uh, right. So we're distributing content through there, taking that data and then using that on the paid media buying side to actually position those products in front of viewers and um, audiences like those viewers. So um, that's kind of the strategy. So uh, one can exist without the other, but it all just depends on your goals, right? Well, I want, I'm sorry, one quick note, a little nugget that I think you had there that a lot of people may not catch. You talked about, okay, when we say viral, we're talking a hundred million, right? Yep. But I thought one thing I think I want to point out, and you know this, and this, I cut this from what you were saying is that viral is intentional, but not, you, you can't, you don't know which, which video or which content it's going to happen to. Yeah. We have a spreadsheet. It's of, a strategy to do it. Yeah. We have you a just never know which one's going to hit. Yeah. We have like 50 videos that are like above a hundred million views, like in a, in a document. Nice. And, you know, we analyze that and look for, you know, what things make things click, but honestly, you never know what that piece is going to be. But because we're putting out so much content, it's much easier to find outliers versus mm-hmm. if we put out, three pieces, none of them might be outliers. And then we're like, okay, so none of that worked, but really it's the fifth one that hit or the 50th one that hit. So that's it's why volume. Yeah. That's why consistent content is hard um, to put out for most people because it's expensive or, um, you know, you just don't know it's what time to consuming put out. Too. it's time consuming, but um, you know, you do need it and paid traffic is renting space on the internet. Like you yeah. have to pay every time you want an impression. Whereas this goes back to the brand, the brand awareness that we were talking about that a lot of small businesses don't understand the value of. Yeah. And like, I always like to say, like we do purposeful brand awareness because we're obviously leveraging the paid side to uh, take advantage of the organic side and retarget those people and get them to buy things. But Mm -hmm. you have to build brand, you know, people aren't, don't do business with ads. They do business with brands and the people behind them and the, the products and services they provide and what causes they support. So Make sure um, you're focusing on the organic side too. Don't underplay that. Most people are just concerned with the short game. It's like, can you flip my business in three months with Facebook ads? My answer is no. <laughs> yeah. My answer is no. I mean, I can no. definitely improve it, but it's not the magic pill. Stop playing small. Stop playing the short game. <laughs> right. Play the long game. And that, that's where, yeah, that's where the most value is. Yeah. Awesome, man. Where do people follow you on social media? Uh, you can follow my Instagram at nmkirchner. Those are my last name. So NM Kirchner. And then uh, here on Facebook, Nicholas Kirchner. Um, 
those are pretty much the only ones I use. I do have a Snapchat, but uh, I don't really check that much. No TikTok yet? I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love watching them. That's good. Uh, that's good toilet time. Anyway. No, totally. But uh, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Nicholas, thanks for the time, man. Always awesome to see what you're doing, man. I'm, I'm really happy for you. Um, it's fun to watch. Obviously, I've known you for years, and it's awesome to see where you've come from and where you are now and to see what you're doing with Margle. It's Big awesome. Change. Big change. Huge changes, man. Huge <laughs> changes. Guys, thanks for watching. I'm Trent. This is Nicholas. This is Trent Talks. Um, again, like you said, you can follow him at, at NM Kirchner on Instagram. Follow me at, at Real Trent Evans. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. Peace. Hey guys, thank you for listening. I hope this really helped you. Uh, it means a lot to me to be able to try and help you guys, both personally and in business. I'm super excited that you're listening. Please take a minute and subscribe and leave a rating. It would mean the world to me, literally. I would love it and greatly appreciate it. Um, hit me up on social media, at Real Trend Evans on all platforms. Let me know what you think of the episode. Let me know you're following. Uh, just reach out to any questions you have. I would love to help you. I'd love to be able to be a part of your world and help in any way I can. I love you guys. Have a great day.